1: We're back, baby. Nothing personal, word of the day. It is July 14th, it's Bastille Day. Friday, thank God it's Friday. Thank you for staying with me this entire past few weeks where we've been live both here, nothing personal with David Sampson and of course on The Levitard Show. We're back as a double entendre. Love double entendre, word of the days. Love, love. The first game back after the All-Star break. You come back into the clubhouse. You've had a workout the day before, which reminds you of the start of the regular season when you do your workout the day before the regular season starts. That's what the workout is the day before the All-Star break comes to an end. You walk into the clubhouse. You have gone the longest since February without seeing your clubhouse and your players. Think about that statement. Since February, we're now in July basically five months, half a year almost. You come back into the clubhouse, go into the manager's office every year, same thing, very routine. Baseball players are very into routine, so are front offices. The routine of the post all-star break is the same. The game day, you go downstairs, you get into the clubhouse, you sit with the manager, you're going through what your plan is for the first series, you're mapping out your schedule until the trade deadline. So the trade deadline is August 1st at 6 p.m. Coincidentally, August 1st at 6 p.m. is the next live nothing personal. But don't worry, we've got episodes the entire time, except for one day, I think, July 27th. I'm out for 11 days and we have 10 episodes ready for you. So August 1st is the deadline. Every team maps out their schedule. What do we have to do in order to get to the deadline to firmly decide whether we are going to be buyers or sellers. Meanwhile, you've got assignment scouts who are out in organizations where there are targets for your players. If you're a seller, you are at the major league side of the teams where you wanna buy. So it is an organized chaos heading into the trade deadline where you put different scouts and if teams are paying attention which they all are you get a list before every home game of which scouts are in the building you have to check in you can't just be a a, a dog's a bird dog is that the expression a bird dog scout where you just sort of go under the radar you check in whatever ballpark you're in so you get a list of which scouts are in your building so you know which teams you don't have to say who you're scouting but you do have to say that you are there scouting because that's how you get your scout seat every ballpark has a section behind the plate that is reserved for scouts from other teams yes the tickets are free sadly but scouts get it and what you do is you get the list from the ticket office from the baseball department every day and you read it and you see who's covering your team and then you extrapolate which players they're looking at you don't have to be a genius you know if you're a seller exactly who people are after we sent scouts to other stadiums and every scout had to tell us a non-conventional trade idea for the team that they're scouting. Someone who may not be available. An example, we talked about the Cardinals yesterday. What about a trade for Arenado? What would that look like? We're there to scout Montgomery. We're there to scout Hicks or Flaherty. But just for fun, get back to us with what you would do for Arenado. What you would do for Mikolas if you were so inclined. Meanwhile, at the top of the front office, You're making sheets of different payrolls given different acquisition targets, either on the downside or upside. Hey, we need to get our payroll down blank million dollars. These are the different puzzle pieces we can use to get down to that number. Hey, the owner has said we can go up by this amount. Here's the players who we can get. We have a calculator that helps us figure out what each player gets paid per day. If we acquire this player, on july 28th we will owe that player blank for the rest of the year subtract out what a minimum player makes for the rest of the year and that's your ad that's how much you're taking on in payroll it works the same way when you're lowering your payroll so there is a a concert happening and everyone is in sync in if you're doing it right and so you're going through and you're mapping your plan you're getting trade ideas from your scouts, and then your head of player development, your head of scouting, your head of pro scouting, your head of player personnel, not player development, player personnel, excuse me, they come to your home city and you start your trade deadline meetings in person. And what you're doing during those deadline meetings is you're putting down on the board all the different possibilities, including, If you are a cusp team, it is way harder to be a cusp team and with expanded playoffs, and when you look at the wild card standings right now, or the division standings right now, there are more cusp teams than ever. And the problem with being a cusp team is it's twice the amount of work because you're preparing to sell and you're preparing to buy. And I told you yesterday, I'll tell you today, I'm going to tell you every day. Don't believe the absolute horse hockey. Oh, we're both buyers and sellers. We made trades that are good for now and good for later. No, there's no candy going on in front offices. You're either buying or you're selling. So many storylines exist under the radar, meaning inside the front office, as it relates to certain players who could be available from certain teams, other storylines bubble to the top and end up being the focus of your attention and the focus of your clicks. On your Twitter feed, At David P. Sampson is my Twitter feed. But you'll see Twitter feeds of all the insiders. It already started yesterday. How would Otani look in a Yankee lineup? Oh, I don't know. Let me think. They'd be worse. Where would we hit Otani if he were in our lineup? Oh, I don't know if we have a spot for him. Otani is going to be the focus of at least, this is what editors do for their sites or their papers we're gonna need some otani stuff just about every day he said he has a place in seattle we need to do a podcast we need to have a rumor here that he's going to be traded to seattle you're going to hear already well maybe the padres will sell juan soto juan Soto's living next to david ortiz maybe he's going to go to boston did you hear that during the all-star game I'm sure they were super psyched that it was made public that their neighbors in the Dominican Republic, on top of all people, David Ortiz, to go public with where he lives. Oi. Juan Soto would look good in a Phillies uniform. It's all preposterous. We have an intern, side note, Coca, totally off the subject. We would have an intern keep track of rumors because we would put them in categories. Leaked, purposefully leaked, made up, probable, definite. And we'd want them in different categories. We'd play a game. Oh yeah, Otani to Seattle, category, N-C-T-P. For those of you new to the show, no chance, toilet pants. One of the teams that is certainly going to have to do a lot of focusing right now, and I mean a lot, is the Baltimore Orioles. If you are an Orioles fan, you're super excited. You're two games out of first place. The Tampa Bay Rays are only two ahead of you. The Tampa Bay Rays, who didn't lose for the first 60 days of the season, I think they won their first 80 at home, Run runaway number one team in baseball. Now they're not even close to the Braves, and who's the best team in baseball? Still a good team. Meanwhile, the Orioles are two games back. The Orioles are not trying to win the wild card, where they have a five-game lead. They're trying to win the division. The Orioles winning the AL East would be the best story of the regular season. Well, let me let me think about that, Coca, Let me let me uh, give you a different take on that. You can cut it if you want. Four six nine. The Angels making the playoffs would be the best story. <laughs> so the Orioles are looking at their schedule. They're doing in their front office what we do. And they're saying, all right, we start with the Marlins. The Marlins are good, let's not sleep on the Marlins. Then we gotta go Dodgers. Then we play four at Tampa. So what you're calculating is the six games where you're starting at home against the Marlins and Dodgers. You don't wanna lose any ground to the Rays. So you wanna win both series, say two out of three, you go four and two. It would take a raised start of 5-1, and one, which is unlikely for you to lose a game, which means you're going into Tampa down two. In a four-game series, you win three out of four. You leave. You leave Tampa tied for first place in the AL East. So a 4-2 and a 3-1 is a 7-3 and three start. 7-3 and three in your last 10. Totally reasonable. And then they say, wow, then we have to go to Philly. Yankees, Toronto, Mets, Dodgers, Mariners, Padres. It's a gauntlet for the Orioles. A 32 game stretch where they will figure out what they are. Are they competitive for the division? Do they still have the lead in the wild card? None of it has anything to do with where they are at the deadline. The Baltimore Orioles are buyers at the deadline. If they don't, you have every right to say to John Angelos, What you doing, man? This is your moment. A year ahead of schedule, don't wanna hear it. We never tried to make that as an excuse. Teams do that. Hey, we didn't expect to have turned it around this quickly. It's a good front office uh, snippet that they'll do. We didn't expect to be this good now, but we're gonna just see how it goes, but we're really well positioned. And then they say, we love our positioning going forward. No. Sometimes the season hands you a storyline that you may not have wanted or prepared for. Cardinals didn't want it, prepared for Orioles, but you take advantage of it. If the Orioles do not buy and they stand up and say, "Hey, we have stadium situation. We we just we can't. We can't bring on more payroll." That would be inexcusable. Even for a team that I ran, we're bringing on payroll with no stadium situation if we think we have a chance to win. It is not a coincidence that a statement was released yesterday about Camden Yards, I assure you. To get a governor of a state and an owner of a team to get together to release a statement together Way too many togethers. That takes some wordsmithing and some work. I told you that there's a lot of stadium situations, not just Oakland, not just Tampa. I said, here comes Milwaukee, here comes Baltimore, get ready. No sooner do I say it that a statement comes out. It's as though I'd seen the statement before it came out, which of course I hadn't. The statement started with exactly what a governor would never start a statement with, but the Orioles got them to start it with this, which shows the collaboration of the statement. The last four months have been exciting on and off the field. Is that what a governor would ever say? I'm sure the governor watches every game and is very focused on where the Orioles are in the standings. Baltimore City and the state of Maryland all have Orioles fever. I'm sure they do. What's their record, Governor Moore? We've laid the groundwork for success and progress is also being made on our vision to expand, here it comes, and revitalize the Camden Yards campus. Translation, we're getting really close to another public-private deal where public money is gonna go in to refurbishing Oriole Park at Camden Yards. When Camden Yards opened in 19, Coca, help me here, 91, 92, it was the first of the new stadiums. Apologies to the White Sox. It was retro. It was hip, it was sold out, it was everything. It was 1992, thank you, Matt. That's 30 years ago. You're not thinking about 2023 and 1992, you can't even picture it, but here we are. And now Baltimore needs to update their stadium. Camden Yards is old, still beautiful, amazing. But you use the word in a statement. If you look at any statement where a public entity your government is telling you about what they are doing with your tax money, it will be revitalized. It's in the playbook, because what you're supposed to think when you read that word is, wow, that means it's gonna be new, that means it's gonna be hip, that means it's gonna be updated, that means that we're gonna lose our money. We're gonna revitalize Camden Yards. We are determined to make it happen and soon. okay we'll see what happens they ended their statement with we have shared ideals to create a thriving and inclusive baltimore not just for the orioles but for all those who call it home what is what are we doing here social experiment what does it mean inclusive that means anyone free tickets for people of a certain race color creed sexual preference i'm not at all sure i've never heard that before that we're gonna build an inclusive stadium. Now we'd like to have an inclusive company, an inclusive environment, I would love that. And here is the best part of this entire story. The Orioles and the governor got together and released a statement and then they pulled it, re-released it, same statement, but they added the name of John Angelos. John Angelos is the son of Peter Angelos, the owner who no longer is able to be the owner of the team. John Angelos is the one who's fighting with his brother, but they made up, no more suing each other, no more suing their mother, we're good. A statement gets released by PR that I guess John Angelos wasn't aware of. John Angelos wanted to be a part of it, made them re-release it with his name on it. A statement from Westmore and John Angelos. That's so good kind of rinky-dink amateur operation are we running here? Well, speaking of rinky-dink and amateur, I'm 104 and 105 in nothing personal picks of the day. I made a wait to see that I will be above 500 when this season ends, meaning December 31st, because I do it. I'm a calendar season. That's my fiscal year, January 1 to 1231. Brewers and Reds, big series. So many big series starting right now. Go look at the schedule. And if you think that that's, oh, what a coincidence. It's good to have big series. The Brewers are minus 120 over the Reds. Corbin Burnson is the pitcher. Corbin Burnson is definitely not the pitcher. He's the actor from Major League. Corbin Burns is the pitcher. The same guy who would complain about arbitration. They hurt my feelings, yada, yada, yada. Corbin Burns came out with a statement saying, oh, we're going for it. We're buyers. There were times when we would tell players what we were doing before we would leak it to the public because we wanted the players to feel good and to relax. Hey, you've, you've earned it. We're adding to this team. Or we'd put pressure on them. Hey, you haven't earned it. You got two weeks to earn it. We've done that before. Hey, there's nothing you can do. We're cutting payroll. There's 25 people in the stands, and we're 15 games under 500. We're cutting. We'll let you know. I promise, AJ, I'll let you know. The Reds are a great story. Ellie De La Cruz could be the second or third biggest story so far this season, what he's done since he was brought up. Still not a favorite to win rookie of the year, nor should he be, given Corbin (laughs) Burnson, Corbin Carroll, that's funny. Brewers over the Reds. All right, I got to get serious about something, if you don't mind. My middle daughter is a graduate of Northwestern. I am friends, good friends, with the former provost there, Jonathan Holloway. We did a sit-down. He was the dean at Yale, became the provost at Northwestern. He's now the president of Rutgers. And what's going on at Northwestern, and we covered it plenty with Pat Fitzgerald, the coach of the football team, the new president, President Schill, suspending Fitzgerald for two weeks, then turning around and saying, no, we're going to fire him. Yesterday, in what can only be described as a nightmare scenario, Northwestern had to fire its baseball coach. Firing a baseball coach for lack of performance, they finished their season 10 and 40, I'm in. See you later. But no. They fired Jim Foster. After multiple assistants had left the team, They've got about 15 or so players who are trying to transfer and get the hell out of there. And an investigation of the baseball program showed that Jim Foster engages in bullying and abusive behavior, inappropriate actions towards women. All of the third rail things that maybe you grew up doing code reds, but now you can't. Turns out when you investigate Jim Foster, which in theory Northwestern did before they hired him, one of his players died after a workout. He's famous for having his players play when they're injured, having reckless disregard toward their health today or tomorrow. Any injury you have, you're pressured to go back and play. Totally abusive in the dugout, out of the dugout. These are the allegations. When you are the athletic director of Northwestern and you've got these things going on side by side, my preference would be to rip off the Band-Aid. When you rip off a Band-Aid, it really hurts really quickly and then the pain goes away. Some people prefer to rip the Band-Aid off one hair at a time. That means you have less pain but over a longer period of time. Never been a fan of that. The equivalent, and I I may have mentioned this, but I'll mention it again for the uh, 7.2% who are new as of yesterday. People in a movie theater trying to open their candy. Some people open it really quickly and it makes a noise and you're annoyed, but then it's done. But sometimes when they're trying to open the bag, they do it really quietly. They think really slowly, and it takes like an entire scene for them to open their bag of candy. Just open it, baby. The athletic director is a guy named Derek Gregg in Northwestern. And he had to release a statement saying that nothing will ever be more important to Northwestern. I can't even say it with a straight face because clearly it's not true. Nothing will ever be more important to Northwestern than providing its students a place that allows them to develop in the classroom, in the community, and in competition. Here we go, 269. It's Friday, I've got the Friday mouth. Nothing will ever be more important to Northwestern than providing its students a place that allows them to develop in the classroom, in the community, and in competition at the absolute highest level and building a culture which allows our staff to thrive. Not sure I would've put that as an and because the whole purpose of you firing Jim Foster, culture, not good. This has been an ongoing situation, and many factors were considered before reaching this resolution. As the director of athletics, I take ownership of our head coaching hires, and we will share our next steps as they unfold. I may not be the athletic director when they unfold. He didn't say that, statement ended. Here's what is below the tip of the iceberg. It is unlikely that I will be the athletic director when our next hire happens because look what's happening under my watch. Who would approve a statement when you've just had this issue both in football and in baseball? Who would approve a statement that would say this has been an ongoing situation and many factors were considered before reaching this resolution? When you hear about bullying, abusive behavior, and it is an epidemic do you not go spend time around the team? That would be the equivalent of Jeff Lunau saying, garbage cans? Garbage cans? What you talking about, Evan? The minute you hear one thing, you go down and you see what the hell's going on. Now I grant you that Derek Ragg has to have the yips when it comes to statements. The entire PR department has to have the yips when it comes to statements because of what the daily paper with those great journalists have been doing and what they've been uncovering when you're thinking, my God, I'm next. What a crazy world when you need good journalists to inform your behavior. Hey, we can keep doing this because the people in this market, our student newspaper sucks. Oh, we can absolutely be abusive. We can absolutely have the worst culture ever. Who's ever gonna figure it out? And even if they could, they can't put three sentences together to make a paragraph. We're good here. They definitely don't think that at Northwestern. The fact that anybody thinks that anywhere is pathetic, but they do. Hey, we can get away with that. That's what everyone says when they do something wrong. Oh, no one's looking. Isn't that the number one it And that's a symbol for not just your eyes, but with your fingers, with your pen, with your keyboard. Everything that people do that's bad, jaywalking. They turn their head. Nothing personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. No, nope. no one's looking, we're good. That's how you take a candy bar from a drugstore. No one's looking. Everybody's looking, always. You've got to remove from your statement vocabulary the ongoing situation part because we want people to be better, to act faster, to act smarter. And I'm not talking street side justice. That is not the expression, Coca. What's the expression where you take vigilante justice? Is that it? I'm not talking about that. But when you have a system in place where you actually have your flowchart of what you do when something is brought to your attention from an HR standpoint, you act immediately. The investigation, you don't need Beth Wilkinson or Mary Jo White to know what's going on in your own building. And if you don't know, then it's not your building. The athletic director cannot skate. The old athletic director should not skate. He's now the chairman the commissioner of the acc nobody should skate commissioners let owners skate all the time plausible deniability we gave that to our owner often hey we don't want to don't even worry we've got this when you say don't worry about it to your president or to your owner it's hey you don't need to know my view as president of the team is no i want to know everything And the reason I wanted to know everything is not because I wanted to meddle. It's not because I was a control freak. It's that I'm gonna take the blame because known or should have known are the same to me. So I'd rather be in the known category because then I can be in the I acted category. I don't wanna stand up in front of the media and ever say, I'm submitting my resignation two seconds after I was fired because it is my responsibility what takes place in my organization, on my team. I didn't know, so I'm just bad at my job, but I'm still fired and resigned. Athletic directors have to know. But David, they've got 50 sports. They've got thousands of employees. Don't care. Now, how far would I take that? Is Jeff Bezos responsible if someone steals your Amazon package from the sorting facility and goes home with a bunch of toys? Probably not, but guess what? He needs to know that it happens and he needs to have a plan in place of how to resolve the issues when it happens. You get a free package because your package didn't arrive correctly. We'll resend you the item on the house that is a problem that's a solution i don't control it it's my employee how about when you don't control when someone steals the package out of your front door you call amazon and say hey package didn't come must have been stolen where does the blame lie the delivery company has a picture i put it right here no signature required don't come to me I'm not giving you a refund. Amazon can't go to them and say, hey, we gotta send another package. It's a budget item. You go to Amazon and say, sorry, my package is not here. Jeff Bezos has approved the ability to replace the package for free. If you do not act when you understand situations that exist in your company, either because you didn't know about them, no excuse, or you knew about him and thought you could bury your head in the sand ostrich style, there is no excuse. I do not see how Derek Gregg survives this, nor should he. We come back, I'm going to review a movie that just is available for rent, and I'm going to tell you whether $19.99 is the price to be paid to dive into the head of Wes Anderson. And then we're going to cover a topic. Did you see... What Bob Iger did yesterday, because it was quite something. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option
2: for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend
1: management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. And now get $250 when you join RAMP for free. Just go to RAMP.com slash easy. RAMP.com slash easy. R-A-M-P slash easy. Currents issued by
2: Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.
1: Welcome back to Nothing Personal, David Sampson. Thank you so much for joining Matthew Coca and me as we come to you every day, 8 a.m., live with Nothing Personal, except for the next two weeks. I will not be doing shows, except I've done the shows and you will enjoy them. We've got mailbags, we've got Sampson sit downs. Fascinating Sampson sit downs. Can I preview who they are with, Coca? I forgot to ask you this before the show started. Do we just want to surprise people or do we want to promote it? Because they really are interesting. I leave that up to you. Could you decide while I'm reviewing the movie, please? I've been waiting for Asteroid City to come out. Wes Anderson, I started with him. God, did I start with Moonrise Kingdom or The Life Aquatic, Steve Zizou? The Royal Tenenbaums, I may have started actually back with Bottle Rocket. Wes Anderson is a acquired taste. Lots of very famous A-list actors in his movies. Bill Murray, not in Asteroid City, but he was supposed to be, got COVID, was replaced by Steve Carell in a very funny part. Edward Norton, very funny. Jason Schwartzman, Wes Anderson's muse. Scarlett Johansson, spectacular. Surprising. Don't blink. Every character. Matt Dillon, Orlando Bloom. Maya Hawke. Everywhere you look. It's a movie about a city in the desert where there's an asteroid that's hit and whether or not that asteroid means there's an alien that may have been a part of that asteroid hitting as a vessel. It doesn't even matter what the movie's about. The level of detail that Wes Anderson does in his set design, his production design, his dialogue. I had to go the circle 10, five times, five times, and I kept count for a reason because I don't do it often. Sometimes it's when I can't hear a line or it's a throwaway line or there's music that's playing and I want to hear it. But sometimes I can't believe that that was the line of dialogue. So I go the back 10 seconds and then I screw it up and have to back 10 seconds again. And I hear it again. Sometimes I close my eyes to focus on what's being said. And then I look and I say, thank you, Wes Anderson. Thank you for being a writer and a director and a producer and brilliant asteroid city is the best Wes Anderson movie I've ever seen. That is a unbelievable statement in and of itself. $19.99, you can't get that level of entertainment at that price point. Enjoy the movie. Coca, you're letting me do it. Three sit downs that you'll enjoy while I'm gone. Sat down with Brad Williams, the comic, little person, Funny as hell. We had a very funny conversation. Did a sit down with Pablo Tori, The first person I've ever done multiple sit downs with. This one, we were in the same studio. And we covered some subjects that I believe you will find interesting. And the third one, before I knew that she was expecting, was Mina Kimes. We did a conversation across a broad spectrum of topics that I know you'll enjoy. On top of that, we've got mailbags. You have so many questions that you get to me at Nothing Personal uh, with David Sampson on the YouTube channel. Sometimes you put it in the comments, the live chat. Sometimes you put it in my Twitter, David P. Sampson. Sometimes on Instagram, sometimes who knows how you find me. And I try to answer a question in the So You Wanna Talk to Sampson segment but there's always so many good ones that are interesting to me and hopefully interesting to you. Those are the mailbag episodes that you will get. 10 shows coming your way while I'm gone. When I return, is it even remotely possible that ESPN will have been sold? Transition alert, no. Bob Iger, for those of you not paying attention, which is okay, because you've got me, there's a sporting class a, uh, a, a an hour, excuse me, with John Skipper and myself that's been released on the Dan Levitard network today. We recorded that yesterday or the day before, and so we did not have this information. Bob Iger got renewed, I thought for sure, when he took his job back, remember when he came out of retirement to be the CEO of Disney again, I was sure that he would not be around more than two years. I even did a wait-to-see that Bob Iger will only hold this job on an interim basis, not more than two years. I thought maybe Jimmy Pataro, maybe Adam Silver. Well, I lost that wait-to-see, whatever date that was, Coca. It was on November 21st of last year. You thought I don't revisit wait-to-sees? You've heard me promise that I do, and I do. On November 21st of 2022, the way to see was Bob Iger would serve as CEO of Disney for two years or under. That's wrong. He just signed an extension. He's going to be there for three more years. And he then, as his stump speech, opened the door to a sale of ESPN. The thing that Skipper believes can never happen. I think that John would tell you that he may be reconsidering. And the reason why he would say it is that when you need to lay off 3% of your workforce, when you need to cut expenses because your expenses are $5 billion a year, you're dealing with a writer's strike, you're dealing with a SAG strike, you're dealing with a complete change of the financial landscape. Forget the fact that unions can't figure out how to work with you on that change. Yes, your pay is $25 million a year, totally separate. You can't fix the ills of a company's losses by taking a pay cut. People have tried that. Bob Iger, for the first time, opened the door. We own 80% of ESPN, he said. 20% is owned by Hearst Communications. And he would not close the door to a strategic partner. When people say to you, big time CEOs, when they drop the strategic partner, that's the equivalent of Ted Leonsis telling you, we took 5% for our company from the sovereign fund in Qatar because they're a strategic partner. GMAB, give me a break. You don't look for a strategic partner, you're looking for a cash infusion and to share the losses. When you do layoffs, when you fire Jeff Van Gundy and you can replace him, either because silver demanded it or because you're gonna get someone and lower your costs. The irony of doing it when you're hiring other people who make a ton of money. At the end of the day, layoffs are meant to cut your expenses, but the best way to cut your expenses is not by cutting your expenses. It's actually by taking cash onto your books. It's a way to show. Do you remember the um, Keyshawn Johnson situation? He was just fired by ESPN, except he's on a guaranteed deal for like four more years. He had an $18 million contract or something. And what Disney did by firing him is you can take that entire payment because they're gonna pay him on his contract. But what you do is you'll pay him every two weeks for the next four years. But on your financial statements, you take that hit currently in the current quarter. So it makes your current financials look worse and your future financials look better. Because even though you're paying out cash to Keyshawn Johnson two years from now, your books will not reflect that. So one of the things that Disney, as other companies do, is they're willing to do short-term pain as long as they advise Wall Street how it's gonna happen. They prepare them, they meet with analysts, they take the short-term pain in the seeking of long-term pleasure. Disney's selling any percentage of ESPN. They will never, never say never in business. Strike that, 269. Disney may give up control, a path to control, a total sale of ESPN is unlikely. But in an effort to raise cash and to take some liability off of its ledger, I can absolutely see a buyer coming in. But a strategic buyer? Hmm, I wonder how they will spin that. There's really no way to spin certain things. I try to translate them for you, try to tell you what people are thinking, because I've been there. I understand how people come out with statements and quotes and what they're thinking versus what they're saying. You can't spin what Rory McElroy said yesterday. He was as clear as the day. If Live Golf was the last place to play golf on earth, I would retire. Yikes. That's not exactly opening up a lot of exits. It's basically saying that if you think, which Live leaked recently, that we had a great plan where Tiger Woods and Rory McElroy would own teams, they'd have ownership of the teams in Live, two teams, which is the strategy of Live to have teams that are by themselves valued in the millions and hundreds of millions of dollars as part of a super league, if you will. We know how to get Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy. We'll give them ownership of a team. They'll love it. That's how we'll convince them to come work with us. Roy McIlroy read that and immediately gave a quote. I would retire. How great is that? That doesn't really leave much. I guess you could Brady it, retire for a year and then realize, wow, my expenses are a little bigger than I thought. I'm not gonna retire, I'm gonna unretire. I'm not exactly sure that there's a big opening here for Rory to walk back those words. I'm not sure he's gonna have to walk back those words. The entire merger between Liv and PGA, which from the beginning, if you're a fan of nothing personal, I haven't called it a merger. It's more like a partnership. It's more like a sponsorship agreement. As a matter of fact, they announced yesterday, hey, we've changed our deal because we're being looked at to have been violating the antitrust provisions and we don't have an exemption like baseball does. The Justice Department told them, you better change this little provision the hearings on Capitol Hill helped inform them what they had to do as PGA and Live Golf are trying to figure out how to combine, wink, wink, how to form this new co-entity, wink, wink. They said, hey, one of the things we agreed to, we're stopping. We agreed that we would not poach each other's players. It's called a non-solicitation clause. It actually exists in baseball, but for the antitrust exemption, There are people who could argue, as there have been before. Hey, I can't just go to any team I want. I'm under contract, and I can't get poached. In real life, there's poaching that goes on. That's why those cases actually don't work. They don't prevail. A non-solicitation clause simply says, if I'm the PGA, I will not look at Dustin Johnson and say, hey, do you want to come play for us at PGA? Live Golf can't go to Rory McIlroy and say, hey, I'll give you another chance at 500 mil. You want to come play for us? They had an agreement where neither side would poach anyone from the other. The Justice Department said, that's no fair. Golfers should be able to play wherever they want. They should be able to move between tours. Turns out maybe the Live Golf Tour is going to continue, as Greg Norman said, because he's got so much power at Live. Live. So both sides agreed to remove the non-solicitation clause. Rory McElroy, congratulations. You have the ability to go play for live. Don't worry, Brooks. We welcome you back with open arms. We'll even call you instead of you calling us. Talk about Shakespeare, much ado about nothing. Is the Justice Department standing up? Hey, look at me, Louie. Look what we got them to do we got them to remove the non-solicitation clause. This is a win for the worker. This is a win for their ability to peddle their services where they want. Do you actually think that the players looked at that non-solicitation clause and said, oh, I guess I can't move between tours now. I have no chance. What a bummer, we better get that clause removed so I have some availability. It's actual crap. But when you're being investigated and you are under the hot lights, you end up making some gives. And the gives are meant to try to pacify certain people on Capitol Hill, trying to pacify certain journalists. Did it work? Not in my mind. Okay, housekeeping. Shows are gonna drop on YouTube each day at 8 a.m. exactly the way they always do. July 27th, no show. You can put that in your book, I'm sorry. But every other day, 8 a.m., you will have a show. I appreciate your time more than you know Coke and I do. We do not take it for granted at all. I text that and DM some people when I get that. I really do appreciate the time. We are not a show without you. We'd be speaking into the abyss of an empty studio room. I promise I will be back live August 1st, 6 p.m. Make sure you are on Nothing Personal with David Sanson YouTube channel because that is the trade deadline. Coincidentally, that's when I'm back, and I will be in this chair, God willing, talking about who bought, who sold, who bought and sold. No, no one's gonna do that. Who said they bought and sold? In the meantime, be safe, enjoy the shows while I'm gone. It's just business. This is Nothing Personal.
2: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.